Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the Outkick network, this is Outkick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Friday edition is here with Paul Kuharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow. He's in Tampa Bay. We are back at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beard, Old Smoky Moonshine. PK's back from Indy. I flew back from New York. Chad went from New York to a bachelor party. Scott, Big time weekend. Friends. Big time weekend coming up for Withrow. What's up, Polly? He's 40 and he's hanging out with guys who are just getting married. He's getting a for little the first disconcerted. Time. I know. Well, they're, they're, they're all the same age. Well, His buddy Ryan is uh, maybe a, just a tad older than Chad. Interesting. <laughs> so I was walking in here today and I had a moment where maybe I uh, defaulted to times of days of yore. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there's a young lady, not, not super young, like not, she wasn't so much younger than me, maybe 35-year-old woman, um, wearing a very nice shirt, blouse, whatever you would call it. Um, white, off-white, and the sleeves kind of fade into a, uh, uh, see-through thing but they were long like they came to her elbows and from a distance it looked like maybe it was a cool tattoo but then when I got close I saw that it was a see-through sleeve with the thing and without thinking at all just on my way in I said hey that's a really nice shirt <laughs> and I, I don't know I, I didn't see if she said anything back or anything right but there was a day that you could say that and not think anything of it right well, and, and nowadays, offering oh, an unsolicited compliment well, like that is, uh, is, is not really I, like I usually would catch myself and say, you don't I, offer an unsolicited compliment if I you're not think, in a conversation with somebody or anything like that. I think she probably took it as this man just complimented my blouse. Does he wear blouses? <laughs> Does he like oh, women's like a fashionista? Yeah. No, I just thought like I, I, I no longer. Say stuff like that to random people. Should we go, random should we go find people. this woman, Reed, and get, get her on the show and discuss her blast? Guys, go look for the really cool blast. <laughs> Bring her in. We'll give her Chad's seat. See if she wants there to is, uh, There's some interesting attire going on out there on a Friday. Yeah. I think oh, this, this is cooler than the attire you came in talking about, David. She oh. probably left with the, because it sounds like it's not good attire oh, out there. Okay. I realize this is, uh, this is a tease. This is a tease for spring. And I'm not going to fall well, It's not for a tease. It. Like this we, is it. This well, is it. We will, We're here. We will, we have, we will have it is more March. cold weather. But the weather in Nashville is fantastic. It was 20 degrees in New York. Land in Nashville, and it's like, what, 70? 75. It's going to max out at 75 today. It's perfect. And it's, uh, you know, spring, spring needs to be here spring to stay. Spring is sprung. This is it. I, I tell you guys every year <laughs> in New Jersey growing up, the first day there spring was anything sprung. close to this, I'd be like, that's it, Mom, baseball season. <laughs> We're on. We'd have practice. Everything would be great. Four days later, it snows six inches, and we wouldn't have baseball outside for 
for three weeks because it <laughs> melt into huge puddles and, and we'd take ground balls in the gym. Trey Wallace is going to join us, uh, SEC Insider for Outkick.com. He will be with us in about 15 minutes. Always look forward to Trey and uh, the info he'll bring. Uh, we'll talk SEC hoops and much more. Bobby Carpenter on today's show. That will be at 320 Central, 420 Eastern. And uh, a bit later in today's show, Brent Hubs of VolQuest.com uh, with the very latest and happenings out of Knoxville. Headlines galore and... Paul's back from Indy. The combine continues, um, and Paul, the you know the headlines are predictable. You don't know who's going to make these headlines, right? But the fastest time is always going to be up there, the forty time, and especially if it's especially fast. Well, Tyquan Thornton out of Baylor initially ran what everyone was tweeting out as a four-two-one, which would have set the all-time combine record for fastest 40. It's so silly. Everyone says, new record, new record. Immediately. And it says four-two-one with a U next to it, and the U means unofficial. So yeah. how are you calling the unofficial time a new record? This happens way too often, uh, every year, right? The unofficial. I Just go with the official. Well, just They can't wait. But I don't. It, 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 you don't have to wait that long. No, but they can't wait. So they they changed it to a four two eight, which is still really fast. Uh, but it's not the it's not the all time best forty time at the NFL Combine. But Paul, we didn't know uh, uh, Tyquan Thornton. We don't. I mean, it's not like we're sitting here analyzing what type of football player he is. Well, we're we discussing weren't. how fast this man is. Right. And listen, so. I mean, the NFL, above everyone, wants this kid to now be a stud. But at their own website, this is in the scouting report that existed before he ran a 4-2-8. Bone thin and likely to stay that way. Strong press coverage could eliminate him for the game. Hands are extremely small for the position. Linear release gets redirected and slowed. The entire route tree will not be available to him. Slow to sink, break, and change direction in his patterns. Needs to stack defenders when he gets them beat. Could struggle to hang on through contact. Does this sound like a guy you want your team to get? You know who'll love this guy? The Al Davis disciples <laughs> in Las Vegas. Yeah, Jerry Jones. Uh, whenever they cut Amari Cooper, they'll be drafting a wide receiver soon. You know, but now yeah. Chris Olave ran very well, and yes. we know that he well, that, is a big time college Ohio football State player. Ohio State had two guys, but a lot of other guys on this list of the fastest guys are not guys that we've heard of, and they're not going to the track guy from Memphis was fantastic. He was expected to be fantastic, but he's a track guy. And most track guys don't turn out to be great football players because guess what? He got a scholarship to Memphis as a track guy. So did you with the receivers, not everyone's doing these routes, not because they're being advised not to participate at the combine. I was reading they're just because it's on TV and it's a made for TV event now, these these prospects are standing around waiting for like an hour and a half after you know moving on to something else. And it just gets bogged down to where they just opt out and they'll do it at their pro day. Uh, to the point where it becomes such a TV event that the arrangement, the organization makes it so a guy doesn't yeah. want to run some stuff. I think you're hurting your TV show. So well, why can't you 
organize it better to maximize the chances that guys want to do stuff instead of the other way. We talked about this yesterday, I think, where people were, guys were standing up, going in front of the camera and saying, uh, not lifting by choice, <laughs> uh, but I will at my pro day, because they don't want to lift on the same day where they're going to run and jump and do the other stuff that's more important to their position, certainly. Right. Um, so it seems to me, and we keep hearing TV show, TV show, TV show, well, NFL knows how to make a good TV show, but it doesn't seem to me they're maximizing uh, the way to make this the best possible TV show. And uh, not, I'm not particularly interested in the TV show. This is a TV show where I might be interested in the highlights of the TV show. I'm, and the ones without a U next to them, by the way, the ones that are official, not unofficial. But the, the, I mean, the idea that these guys with blazing fast times go on to have outstanding NFL careers is just false. I mean, Chris Johnson was really good. Yeah. But he's one of those exceptions. Yeah. But I mean, for the most part, the, the exceptions to the rules are hard to find. And the rules right now are if you're blazing fast, that doesn't mean you're going to be in the NFL for very long. It means you're going to be drafted higher than what you probably should. I mean, John Ross, remember when he had the blazing time for yeah. the Bengals? He's hurt his whole life. Yeah, well, and then you know, I don't even know if he's on a roster right so now. So Dane Brugler sent out a tweet. Here are the top 10 40 times from three years ago. All right, Paris Campbell, 4-3-1. Andy Isabella, 4-3-1. McCole Hardman, 4-3-3. Metcalf, 4-3-3. Terry McLaurin, 4-3-5. Emmanuel Hall, 4-3-9. Darius Slayton, 4-3-9. Johnny Dixon, 4-4-1. <laughs> Miles Boykin, 4-4-2. Gary Jennings, 4-4-2. Listen to some of these names. Two studs, McLaurin and Metcalf. Two solid depth guys, Hardman and Slayton. Four disappointments, Campbell, Isabella, Boykin, and Jenkins. And two guys who aren't on NFL rosters who you were laughing about, Hall and Dixon, because you don't know who the hell they are. Right. And, and they were headline guys at the scouting combine. But now, we fall for it over and well, over every year. Because we it's, do the same thing, just like I, I tend to do. I, I try, no matter how hard I defend against it, the guy who's great in OTAs or the guy who is great in the first preseason game. And this but, is the cycle we go through every year. We so do. So this guy, Thornton, is the headline today and how many p- stories and how many um, c- uh, talk shows like this one are giving the big, big warning where we're telling you. Odds are this guy's nothing. I think, you know, it, I try to put it in perspective because it's not like a bunch of guys are running in the four threes, right? I mean, there, there were no. eight, I think there were eight players that ran under, eight receivers that ran under a 4 4. It's a special, special skill. Yeah. I mean, so if you've got that, you're in an, I mean, if you're, if you're running 4 4, that's still really fast. But if you're in the elite category, that stands out at a combine where you're judged on the same turf and under the same exact conditions as the other players. So, I mean, it does mean something, but does it mean that the guy can play football? I mean, no one's really analyzing that to any great extent on these times. And and in the no-name ones of these guys, in the late rounds, you take a guy that's got one skill. Yeah. You know, and then you try to build around that one skill. This is one of those guys. Alave is a a stud. And he ran 4-3-9, and then his teammate, um, Garrett Wilson, ran 4-3-8. I mean, Ohio State... Brugler says he's the top receiver in in the draft. They had, I mean, and and Ohio State's put out some, you name some. You have Paris Campbell, uh, McLaurin, 
there are some Ohio State receivers that have had some blazing times. The fastest quarterback is Desmond Ritter. Is with that a, right? With a 4-4. Oh, that's pretty damn impressive. Oh, oh sorry. I, I went with the unofficial. Uh, four five two is his uh, pretty, fastest time. Yeah, that's still pretty impressive. That's great. It was also faster. Uh, the unofficial was that far off the official? Yeah, I had four. It's like a four. It, it's four four nine or something. Um, it was also faster. Ritter was faster than twelve receivers. Uh, Malik Willis did not run. Right, he wasn't doing anything. But he's not doing anything but throwing. The next fastest quarterback was EJ Perry out of Brown University who ran 465 pump up Ivy League so yeah pump up Ivy League I didn't make it to uh to Columbia up in uh, your neck of the woods Paul I did make it to butter last night with Chad back to butter back to butter um you guys are we're staying in range Chad's redemption butter, right? tour yeah I mean so right around the corner did you make him like I would have made him put on like one of those um stringy uh <laughs> something that looks like this uh yeah, around like, his wrist yeah, and string it to his phone in a way that there's yeah, no you way have he a cord where he yeah, it's like a child his, yeah, a child's yeah, leash yeah, yeah you put a <laughs> you put a leash on the phone that paul that uh that chad can't lose down the 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 very side of a booth so i've not corrected this issue because obviously it hasn't been a trend it's just a chad thing just a chat. They, they didn't they, change the gaps. They have, they have renovated the restaurant, but they have not changed the booths. Um, the booths were packed. I mean, there were a lot of people there. Uh, so Alex Garnaschelli should be very pleased. Um, but the, you know, the, uh, we didn't have access to the booth, but we certainly paid homage to it as we walked by. No Tarantino, no uh, No Tarantino, no Tarantino. Um, um, and there were so many people there, like, the night that Tarantino was there with us, what, like five other tables were eating? Right? Yeah, it was relatively... So it was very easy to walk in and say... Yeah, it was like yeah, 8.30 nine? or 9. And you, you walk in, and immediately you're just like, oh, there's Quentin Tarantino. He's laughing. It, it, that hyena laugh he's got. <laughs> yeah. But this, in this case, um, you know, it, you'd have to really scan the room to so try to So you had anyone. salmon, undoubtedly. And what did Chad have? Uh, Chad had another fish. I'm not, sh- I'm not sure what really? it was. Yeah. Chad's a big steak guy. I would have bet steak. He did not, he did not go steak. Uh, see, I, 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 I go fish, but I'd go boneless. I don't want to have to yeah. mess with it. Chad was all about, you know, taking oh, the bones really? out. Yeah. He got after, wow. he got big after on the, on the menu. Uh, no dessert. No dessert. I uh, say I would have solved that problem. Hit us up on Twitter at outkick 360 coming up in today's show. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury says he would have worked another job if things didn't work out in Arizona before he went back to college football. And this is something we've said. uh, uh, I I, I would have said the same thing if I were Cliff Kingsbury. We've talked about the difference in the NFL and college jobs now, and he's illustrating that. We we mentioned it briefly. Uh, Amari Cooper is likely to get released because the Dallas Cowboys are are in salary cap hell, and he's due to make way too much for the production that he's put – Putting forward, still a good player. Uh, very good player. Uh, scheduled to make twenty million, or counts counts twenty seven years old. Uh, counts twenty million against the cap, and that's the main reason they're having to make a move. If you know before the new league year begins, uh, or maybe before the, the fourth day um, in March, or uh, what, the fifth or sixth day in of March, the league year. Yeah. So that's they've got they've got some decision making there. Uh, we'll discuss their options, and then Coach K. Coaching the the final game at Cameron Indoor, uh, we'll hit that uh, later in today's show. When we come back, Trey Wallace 
of Outkick.com will join us. The SEC Insider will talk SEC hoops and much more. First, though, 30-1 to 1 enhanced odds for either Jorge Masvidal or Colby Covington to win at UFC 272. That's taking place tomorrow evening. Covington is a fairly large favorite. He's minus 340. So there's incredible value to get him at plus 3,000. 30 to 1 odds. You bet $5 to win 150 on either fighter just to win the, the, the fight, the, the main event at UFC 272. You can sign up. It's got to be your first time uh, signing up, first-time users. FanDuel.com slash OK360. FanDuel.com slash OK360. This bet pays cash money. Bet $5 to win $150 in cash and not site credit. You simply log on and sign up and make this your first bet. Bet $5 to win $150 on either Covington or Masvidal to win at UFC 272. FanDuel.com slash OK360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer. With over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros, Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Glad you're with us from 6th and Peabody. This is Outkick 360 with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Paul Koharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow back with us on Monday. Trey Wallace with us weekly, and he's going to have some great coverage from the SEC tournament when things tip off next week in Tampa. Uh, Funny enough, that's where Chad is right now. Uh, Trey will be heading down next week uh, to get full coverage for Outkick.com. He covers the SEC for our site and always pleased to have him on the show trey hope you're doing well guys uh glad everybody's uh safe and back in nashville and hope chad's having fun down in tampa you should just hang out and wait for me to get down there wednesday what is the result or headline you're eager to see over the final weekend the final saturday of sec hoops that will set up this tournament I, I really want to see how, how Tennessee and Arkansas come out and play tomorrow. Uh, that game that we previously saw in Fayetteville, a low-scoring outing for, for teams like Tennessee and Arkansas in the way that they play offense. Um, can Kentucky take care of Florida in Gainesville? I think that stands out to me. I mean, we all know the top four seeds in the tournament, We in a sense of who's getting the double bye. But the biggest thing tomorrow, and, and I know Tennessee fans are going to be rooting for Frank Martin, just like they were rooting for Ben Howland in Mississippi State the other night, 
you know, if South Carolina somehow, I don't know what's going to happen, pulls a miracle and beats Auburn tomorrow, Tennessee, you know, would actually get a share of the SEC regular season championship along with, you know, some other teams in the conference. So I think going into this weekend, there's a lot at stake outside the SEC, Jonathan, that stands out to me, and that is NCAA tournament seeding. Because if – just take a team like Tennessee. If they can win tomorrow and maybe win one or two in Tampa, you're looking at a potential two seed compared to a three seed, which kind of works out better in the second round for a team like that. So lots of storylines heading into the final weekend of the regular season. We've still got to figure out what the matchups will look like on Thursday uh, and which teams will advance to, to play the top four teams on Friday. So, you know, it's going to be heavy in the early afternoon of the big games, Kentucky, uh, Tennessee, Arkansas, Auburn, pretty much all play early afternoon. And then we get some of the lighter games uh, tomorrow night. So I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in that. Trey, we've spent a ton of time. I know uh, you feel the same way. The top four teams in the SEC can make a run in the NCAA tournament. Outside of the top four, which we know, who's a team that can make a run in the SEC tournament next week? Alabama. Alabama stands out to me. And, and they it's so awkward with how they play. You know, they lose to a team like Texas A&M and get beat up. But then they can come Blow back out. and they yeah. can Blow out. Right. They, yeah, they can play with a Kentucky. They can play with a Tennessee. And it, it their guard play is good, which is so surprising in how this past week went. I think LSU was another team. We saw they played against Arkansas and Fayetteville. Honestly, I, I thought they should have pulled that game out uh, towards the end. A couple weird calls went their way against them. I'm sorry. And then you kind of look at what Will Wade has when Xavier Pinson is healthy, um, when you can get post-presence. I think that's key for what Will Wade's trying to do right now. Um, so I would, you know, I'd look at LSU and Alabama as teams that will be playing on Thursday that could potentially make a run towards the weekend. Trey Wallace with us. Outkick.com is where you can find his SEC coverage. How many coaches, uh, what would the over-under be? How many coaches are on the hot seat in the conference right now? For hoops, well, I think Tom Crean should probably be putting out his resume and sending that to other campuses right now. Um, I it'll be interesting to see what happens with Frank Martin at South Carolina because I could see Frank Martin stepping down from the Gamecocks. I, I don't just talking with some folks if if it goes sideways and they want to move in a different direction. Maybe that's something that opens up in Columbia. I'm interested in that one. I think the big one to me, besides Tom Crean, is what goes on in Columbia, Missouri with Conzo Martin. Um, because I, I think his time has kind of run out in Columbia. We've seen that with the two to 3,000 people that show up there. Fans have had it. They're over it. Columnists that, that cover them on a daily basis are calling Conzo Martin out in the program right now. So... I think there's going to be a couple openings in the SEC. I think they'll start in Athens and the other one in Missouri. Are you hearing anything at Ole Miss? I saw them recently, and I, I don't get any indication that Kermit's on the hot seat right now. Um, maybe you know there was some rumblings a couple of weeks ago. Hear anything else? Is there is there smoke there? Is there fire beneath the, the surface there? They would like for their program to be in a better standing than they are right now, and I think that's a given. But I think he's safe for the moment. 
um, and, and kind of chatting with some folks about Ole Miss basketball, but he needs to take the next step, you know, in, in 2022-2023 and get back in, in fighting for, you know, at, at least, you know, top six type positions. Um, because there is so much talent around Oxford and uh, the state surrounding, and, and especially what they put in when it comes to the you know facilities, the new arena that they have in Oxford, which is fantastic. It start, it, it's time to start getting a little money back on what they put in. Let's shift the football, Trey. Um, you wrote a, a good story about Texas A&M's quarterback situation, a, a nice three-way competition set up there after – um, Calzada leaves for Auburn, uh, a hero always at A&M for the, for the stunning win over Alabama. How quickly, after this competition sorts itself out between Max Johnson, who came over from LSU, Haynes King, who was hurt last year, and Connor Wegman, a five-star, does the third-ranking guy start to look for an alternative? I mean, that's a that's a really good question. You know, Jimbo Fisher, I don't think here's the biggest thing about Jimbo Fisher. We all saw how it went last year when their starter went down and they had to panic and they went with Calzada. And yes, I know he beat Alabama, but there were also some bad losses in there. Jimbo Fisher's not gonna set himself up next season to have something along those lines where the guy in the second spot is not ready for what's to come. Whether that be uh Max Johnson from LSU, or whether that be Haynes King, or you know, I, I think the Connor Weekman kid is going to take some time. Um, he is a five star. He does have a lot of talent, um, but I think when you really break it down, it's probably a two man race after the spring with Johnson uh, and King. And look, they both got to be ready. I mean, we saw this at Texas A&M last year. We also saw this at Tennessee. You know, where you yep. where you had, you know, Hendon Hooker come in for Joe Milton when he wasn't performing. And you saw what happened. I, I think that Jimbo Fisher learned his lesson last year by throwing all his eggs in one basket with Haynes King. I don't think you're gonna see that mistake again. Uh don't expect any kind of starter to be named after spring practice. They're gonna take this thing all the way to fall. And uh I, I don't think there's going to be a third man out kind of situation that wants to leave. I just think it's going to come down to, okay, whoever the backup is, you better be prepared. Here's a perfect example of what happened during our first game of the season last year. Spencer Rattler really pouring on the love uh, for Shane Beamer, as you would expect of a, a transfer at his new location. But uh, And I've not been to either of these places. Uh, I imagine – I know you've surely been to South Carolina. I don't know if you've been to Oklahoma. Says um, – South Carolina has the feel of an NFL-type facility and that that's different than Oklahoma. Really? <laughs> it's, all about, uh, it's all about propping up the school that you're at. <laughs> uh, I think Oklahoma does a darn good job of putting prospects in the league. I think they do a good job with their facilities. Look, South Carolina is upgraded, and, and I get that. Um, the way that they run the program – I don't look. I, I I think that was a subtle shot at the area and the place that he was at last year in Norman. Um, I, I don't see much of a big difference between how things are run compared to you know facility wise or how they run the nutrition program or the weight program. You know, much different between Oklahoma and South Carolina. You know, I, I just think it's Spencer Rattler kind of feeling where he's at somewhere new. Um, and, and and trying to get the 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 fan base to rally behind him. He. He's got, uh, he's got to build himself back up. 
And I think that starts, you know, from a PR standpoint, um, you know, there's a lot of doubters still out there about Spencer Rattler and, and deservedly so. So he's got to do himself all kinds of favors when it comes to propping himself up in the media, saying the right things, but then also getting out to spring practice and doing what he needs to do to beat out Luke Dottie, uh, for them to have him as a starting quarterback next season uh, and for him to say the right things. Let's not forget, too, Paul, there's NIL stuff going on in Columbia right now, and I'm sure he'd love to cash in by saying as much nice things as he can. Sure. So Will Levis is in the weight room at, at Kentucky. Mark Stoops is walking through. They stop to have a conversation, and the quarterback asks about Liam Cohn. And, uh, and the coach says, I think we're in the clear here. The only thing we have to worry about is the Rams. And in the span of that conversation, the, his, the, his phone rings, and he shows the quarterback it's Liam Cohn, and it's Liam Cohn calling to tell him he's taking the Rams job. Isn't that the wildest thing? You know, I mean, just think about it. Everything that, that Kentucky was going through. Because we we went a couple days where there was Liam Cohen talk to the Rams, and you didn't hear a lot. And and I don't know how that would pertain to the NFL circles. You know, Paul, I'm sure you were hearing some things about that. But from a college standpoint, you know, it was, was kind of like, okay, he's interested. Is he taking the job? And then... Mark Stoops, it was funny. He joked about it during the press conference. You know, he's he's sitting there, he's walking through, and Will Levis is like, hey, coach, what's going on here? And uh, they sit down to chat, and all of a sudden, Mark Stoops' phone ring, Liam Cohen called to tell him, hey, I'm taking the Rams job. But, you know, I think the biggest part out of, the, of what Mark Stoops said, Paul, was that Will Levis had some say in what they were doing with the offensive coordinator position. Um, and, and I think that goes to show you the amount of trust and what they're trying to do in Lexington with Will Levis at quarterback and Chris Rodriguez at running back. And you've got Cavassier smoke back. You know, I, I think, you know, trying to build up the future, hiring the right guy. And the biggest thing about this too, the Wildcats hired two different guys from the, the 49ers uh, program organization. So, you know, you're bringing in an offensive line coach, you're bringing in an offensive coordinator that both know each other. I think that's a very big to do with what you're doing at Kentucky, just based off, you know, them knowing how to work together is very key to me. So, you know, the future of Kentucky football is going to be about how they can capitalize on Will Levis and Rodriguez this year on offense. So for Mark Stoops uh, to, to have that kind of, liking and, and wanting to hear what Will Levis has to say. I think that's kind of cool. Trey, I got the sense that early last season, Cohen wanted to go more play action. You know, he wanted to push the ball deep. And I never saw that on a consistent basis after the first couple of games. They just, I don't, I didn't get the sense that what he wanted to do, and, and look, I, he's got to tailor make his offense to 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 fit the quarterback, right? Um, right. I, I didn't get the sense that his style is what they went with for the duration of that season. And I'm not, I don't look at this as such a bad thing for, for Cohen or for Levis uh, because of just what I thought they wanted to do versus what I watched them actually execute. You're not wrong, Jonathan. I mean, we didn't see many. Look, they used like Wondell Robinson a lot on those 10-yard outs, and yep. then he would move down the field for 40 to 50 yards. You know, they, they used Rodriguez out of the backfield. A lot of times Levis was running the football, you know, and they didn't take a lot of deep shots. They did not open, in my opinion, just watching them. And 
I was sitting there watching them against Tennessee right there in person. I mean, it's not like that they tested a lot of teams deep very often, which kind of surprised me because I agree with you. It goes along with the Liam Cohen type of offense, kind of spread it out a little bit, make things work down the field, open it up, then you get your running game going. You didn't see that a lot. You saw a lot of Levis hitting 10, 15-yard outs, them relying on Chris Rodriguez, uh, Levis running the football. So it was kind of different. So, you know, I, I know Liam did a lot of good things for Kentucky, and Mark Stoops really liked him. But I don't see this as, you know, it, a lot of Kentucky fans are like, oh, man, we don't want to lose our OC, you know, just when he gets in here and look at his resume. I don't see it as that big of a loss if you can come in and do the same things that you were doing last year and maybe open it up a little bit more deep, you know. And, yeah. and I don't know if that's Oops saying something to Cohen's Jonathan, you know, but but I agree. They've got too many playmakers to be settling for these 10, 15-yard outs. Trey, I should have asked you this uh, ahead of you joining us. Have you covered an SEC basketball tournament in Tampa? No. Okay. I've, I have covered 10 SEC basketball tournaments. Uh, never covered one in Tampa. So this is this is going to be interesting. I, I was thrown off. Look, I was thrown off for it when it was announced, you know, some odd years ago. Uh, we finally get to that point, and we're like, we're getting near the season. We're, we're thinking, all right, you got Nashville. No, wait a minute. we got to go to Tampa, Florida to cover the SEC tournament. Um, so it it's going to be interesting. I, I don't know what the fan base is going to look like. I know there were tickets still for sale, which they announced earlier this week. And let's be honest, Jonathan, if it was in Nashville, tickets wouldn't be on sale this week. They'd be all sold out. Um, you know, Kentucky's going to travel well. Auburn will travel well. Tennessee will have fans, you know, in that Georgia, that Florida area that'll travel down there. But I'm interested to see what the turnout looks like in an arena that holds, I think, 19,000, 20,000 people. Uh, for an SEC tournament. So it should never leave Nashville, <laughs> period. I, I know the women's tournament's going on, but Nashville does too good of a job uh, for that to be heading nine and a half hours south of Tampa. How Not great. hating on Tampa, just, just being honest. Yeah. How great uh, the fan support for Sagai Ziegler's family um, after, after the fire. Unbelievable. Uh, when we first found out through the SEC network – because Rick Barnes talked to the broadcast crew before the game, and that's how they got filled in on that. And then we talked to Rick Barnes afterwards, and and the the fact that his mother, you know, got down to Athens and got to see him before the game, and the the emotions that were shown and 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 let out from Ziegler getting to see his mom for the first time since that happened. You know, I, I say this: the SEC fan base loves to get after each other and and, and hates each other in certain instances most of the time. But when you have something that, that goes on this personal like this, you see people come together no matter who you're rooting for, no matter what school somebody attends. You know, I was getting DMs from Arkansas fans, Auburn fans, Bama fans, Kentucky fans asking me how to help, and I, I didn't know, you know, Tennessee was going to put something out. But the fact that they put out a GoFundMe on a 3.30 in the afternoon all of a sudden, they passed their goal within 30 minutes, and then they raised over $350,000 within 24 hours. That's such a special story, in it, and it's going to help that family out. They've got a nephew um, that, you know, that's in a wheelchair that they lost in the fire. The family's going to try to relocate down to the Knoxville area because they know Ziegler's going to be here for the next three years, three and a half years. So it's a... 
a devastating story that turned into the compassion that we saw from folks around the country. And, and it's so great. I would imagine tomorrow, guys, when Ziegler comes off the bench the first time into that game, there's going to be a standing ovation, and that place is going to be rocking. How do you anticipate the game playing out tomorrow, Trey? You know, it, it's I expect it to go back and forth. I expect, you know, J.D. Note to come out and, and try to drive the basket against Tennessee. And, you know, we saw how he's played recently. He's throwing up 25, 30-point games um, on, on the reg. And, and I look at this right now, and I think Tennessee has the point guards to play with Arkansas. They can get up and down the court. They can guard. Um, and, and I think what we're seeing, key factor for me, I think what we're seeing out of Brantley Honey Hatfield, and Jonas Adu down in the post. I think that's going to benefit Tennessee tomorrow. And then the X factor for me is John Fulkerson's last game inside Thompson Bowling Arena. I'm sure he's going to have the energy of the incredible Hulk tomorrow uh, when he takes that court and there's 21,000 people. A lot of folks don't remember this or seem to kind of forget it sometimes. But last year he had his senior day. There might have been 3,000 people in that arena. And it was so hard for him and everything he went through. And then, you know, I just wrote about it a little bit ago. You know, he's blessed to get this opportunity to do this again because he didn't think he would. You know, if he wasn't elbowed in that SEC tournament game, I don't think he's back at Tennessee this year. But the fact that he gets to go out tomorrow in a place that he absolutely loves and cherishes in front of a sold-out crowd, it's going to be pretty amazing to watch. And, and I think Fulkerson – you're going to you're gonna get a lot more out of the old man body that you might have seen the, uh, during the last couple games. Yeah, I mean, he's he's the X factor to me on some of the critical play that they need, that tough mentality in the post, you know, around the rim, uh, on the glass, uh, whenever they well, get to they tournament gotta time. Have it. they got to have it now because, you, right, we're getting an SEC tournament, and like you talked about today, you know, starting that – Tennessee is only guaranteed three more games. Arkansas SEC tournament game and then the first round of the NCAA tournament. You're guaranteed three more games for rest season, just like any other school in the Southeastern Conference. But Fulkerson talked about how, look, I'm going to start talking to the younger guys after tomorrow. I'm not worried about senior day. I want to go out there and get the win. You're going to see that you know around the country with a lot of young teams uh, trying to have those veterans step up. And for, for Tennessee, if they're going to make a deep run, they need John Fulkerson. They need the John Fulkerson that we saw, you know, a year ago, two years ago, to really start bringing it 10, 12 points a night. And if he can be that type of guy, Tennessee can make a run in this thing. So that's what makes this tournament so crazy and so interesting where a team like Auburn can have an off night. Mississippi State takes them to overtime or, you know, Tennessee and Arkansas battle out tomorrow. Florida potentially upsets Kentucky. There's so many different things that are going to go into next week. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and I look forward to tomorrow at 12 o'clock at uh, Thompson Bowling Arena. Trey will have it covered tomorrow and next week at the SEC Tournament at Outkick.com. Trey, appreciate you as always, and we'll we'll catch up next week. We'll be recapping this weekend and uh, definitely have a couple of visits with you since you'll be in Tampa. Yeah, we'll be in Tampa starting Wednesday night, first-round games, and we'll have you covered down there at Outkick.com. Just follow us, and uh, I look forward to uh, joining you guys. Have a great weekend. You, great. you as well. Trey Wallace there, uh, always great coverage from him at Outkick.com. Coming up, Major League Baseball has proposed some rule changes, and some of them are intriguing, but is it really what's best for the sport right now? I think we'll have um, some 
different opinions on this, including David Reed, who is ready to go at some of the uh, decision-making that Rob Manfred is wanting to bring to the table. That's next on OutKick 360. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. So to impose some new rules in Major League Baseball, they're going to have to come to uh, an agreement on you know, a CBA that both parties will sign off on. You know, we actually have to have a season <laughs> and get through this one before we see new rules implemented, potential new rules implemented. I'm curious to get, uh, Paul, your take on this, but also Reed chime in because um, it was uh, Bob Nightingale who tweeted out um, recently about the, the potential rules changes that could be coming. He says the three rules changes that Major League Baseball wants to implement banning shifts, a pitch clock, and oversized bases. Those are the three that they want to implement. Those rules cannot be implemented based on the current agreement as everything is structured now, and again, they're negotiating all of this. Those things can't change until 2024 at the earliest. However, if the players' union signs off on it, we could see it in 2023. So we're still a year away from these three options even potentially happening. But what do you guys think of banning shifts or having a, a pitch clock or oversized bases, which I'm guessing are... It's to avoid collisions, to collisions, minimize like, collisions. Like, uh, and first and second base type First, thing? second, third. Uh, all three bases. I don't have a problem with the bases. I think that makes a little bit of sense. And the pitch clock is the one that they're most interested in accelerating. They want that sooner rather than later. I don't have a problem with that either. Just... There's too much fidgeting and stuff. I, Reed, you've probably done this too, like flashed by an old baseball game. I've seen the 78 Yankees-Red Sox playoff game. It looks like it's in fast motion. I mean, they, uh, Munson throws the ball back to Goose Gossage, and he throws it right back to Munson. Like he's standing on the rubber. He gets the ball. He, th- he pitches it. It's unbelievable. Shift is the most debate. In 2013, there were 6,900 shif- shifts. In 2021, there were 59,000 shifts. I understand the defensive strategy, and I like the freedom to play the guys where you want, but I'm also sympathetic when Joey Gallo says, I get the defensive strategies I do. I'm 100% not against that, but I think at some point you have to fix the game a little bit. I don't understand how I'm supposed to hit a double or triple when I have six guys standing in the outfield, and I understand the hit them where they ain't, but what you're doing is, and I do want to see a guy bunt when there's nobody at third base, but how long do we say that? Like now I'm supposed to have a power guy who his whole life has tried to hit the ball hard yeah. say, I'm going to go up the bat and bunt to third base until they shift back. I don't know that that's the best thing for baseball. My proposal would be have the infielders be in the infield, have the outfielders be on the outfield. You could be wherever you want in the infield, be on the dirt. You could be wherever you want in the outfield, be on the grass. You can't pot out. In right field is what right. you're saying, for instance. Infielders and outfielders have to play infield or outfield. Reed, I know you're Reed more is, uh, staunch on this. He's a, he goes for the long ball and softball. What do you think about the ending shifts in baseball, Reed? 
I, I just think it's we're creating a rule instead of asking a player to get better. A player getting better is going to better the game. If that player who can only hit to the right side or the left side learns how to hit to the opposite field, that's going to make the game more. That's going to make the game better. That's going to make the game more offensive, which is what they're going to what they're going to want to get to. We know this again. Every time there's a work stoppage, they do something to yeah. try to make the game more appealing to get the fans back in the stands. Uh, if if this is one of their ideas this time, I just think it's stupid. Ask, well, to ask be fair, the they were talking be about they were talking about this without a work stoppage. Yeah, it, but it, I don't. In the, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think there's a lot of logic to it. But they so. But it hasn't happened. How long have we had the pitch count, the the pitch clock in the minors now? Long it, enough that they've got the data. Yeah, long enough right. that they should be able to definitively say this impacts the game this way. This impacts pitchers this way. So there should be a generation of pitchers now who, if they came up through that minor league system, are used to a, to a, a pitch clock. But I don't want to do anything that interferes with a person's process, an athlete's process, because like it or not, there's processes that athletes need to go through to get comfortable to do whatever they're about to do, whether it's pitching or whether it's stepping in that box. If they don't feel right mentally and physically, they're not going to do it. If they have a ritual they need to go well, through, I think your it's going to impact to, that. I think you have to say your ritual's not allowed to be indefinite. Your ritual has to occur within 15 20 seconds, whatever it is. Now, ideally, you'd put the pitch clock on that for a while until people, like you're indicating, are trained. And, and then it doesn't have to be there. But we've let it go so far. It's so ridiculous. Batters, too. I don't want batters being able to step out of the box and redo the Velcro. Every yeah, day they, need to, they need to ban Velcro. I, I've said that for a long so time. I've, I've, I've probably been to more minor league games in the past few years than I had in my entire life. And the entire time, the pitch clock was in play. And I don't ever remember thinking, man, this game's so much shorter. <laughs> it does not feel like I've been here for four and a half hours. So I really don't know how big of a difference that that's going to make. So what I is, do, I am with you with or without the shift thing. Guys need to be all field hitters more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What has sped up college baseball in some cases, Tim Corbin, for Which instance, is a is very a, long game. Uh, yes. Um, they were trying this method out and I think they're, they, they're sticking with it. There is a pitching coach in the dugout that has a watch that he, he punches in the pitch and the pitcher gets it and knows what pitch he's throwing instead of getting signs from the catcher who's getting it from the dugout. Well, the biggest concern there is uh, stealing signs from second base or wherever, and yep. the major leagues is looking into something like that too. Coming up, Matthew Stafford, nearly a Carolina Panther. That's next on Outkick 360.